0: So famous cases
1: of Moida ghosts, legends, and lore with a healthy dose of
0: debunking. When uh, I don't, are we doing debunking today? This is one of those rare times where I have absolutely no idea what your topic is. I love when that happens because you usually do. <laughs> um, I think I didn't yeah. ask you, so I don't. I don't even like. I I literally don't know what it is. (laughs) I think this is like a
1: case of where we talk about topics like two months in advance, write down a bunch of ideas and go, oh, we should do this. And then one or both of us forget about it. And then the other one remembers. And then we're like, "Okay, yeah, I'm going to cover this, but I'm going to keep it hush hush. So I do a little surprise, Mm -hmm. surprise trick, hat trick for (laughs) you. So, um, yes, to answer your question, we will be doing a little bit of debunking today, but we'll we'll be doing, I think, a, a hefty amount of moldering. Oh, today we haven't moldered um, in a while you know we I mean, haven't I haven't <laughs> that's fair uh, I'm the resident <laughs> molder in this vicinity true. um mm-hmm. but there will be plenty of space for some scullying so don't you okay. worry your little scully heart okay because this is a classic uh actually UFO story oh, so you do love
0: the UFOs
1: I do. I recently got a really cute little UFO head that Terrence put on my um, antenna on my car. So now my car has a little green alien with little little bug eyes on it. Um, Really was worried it was going to come off in the car wash. But But it didn't. It did not. It wanted to believe... It's still there.
0: The it's truth is there. out there. Uh, I just ordered uh, an alien dress, like, with little tiny green aliens on it. And part of me, when I saw it, I was like, Gabby's going to be so
1: excited. I just got very excited. Did you see my face? Mm-hmm, I got very excited mm-hmm. about that. So we'll, we'll also, take a picture
0: for the Instagram, so you can yes, see the fabulous dress when it shows up.
1: I can't wait. I also got Spooky a UFO costume.
0: <laughs> so An uh, alien costume or a UFO costume?
1: Uh, Both. It actually is like a little black vest. And on the back of it, there's like a stuffed animal that's literally a UFO with an alien on it. Like it's riding the dog when he wears it. And I put it on him and he just was, he froze. He didn't know what to do. But the second I took it off of him, he thought it was a toy and tried to destroy the UFO. So, you know, dogs are going to dog. If I did that to
0: Tilly, she would just destroy me. That's fair. Cats are going to catch
1: cat's gonna cat uh anyway clearly we have a passion about this thing but for those who follow ufo stories you might recognize this one as it is the first well-documented feasibly legitimate ufo abduction in history um it actually shaped how stories like its own were told and understood from the point that it happened and moving onward one of the most publicized topics it also inspired the visuals of aliens that we now know of as the greys a la x-files mm-hmm. this is the story of the betty and barney hill abduction yes so let's start with the incident on september 19th 1961 Betty and Barney Hill drove down the empty, winding country road in New Hampshire's White Mountains, heading home to Portsmouth, New Hampshire, from a spontaneous vacation with their dachshund, Dulcie. Love that they had a dog. Uh, and just so you know, Portsmouth was is kind of known for fishing, beaches, one of the oldest cities in the area, the sleepyish town. Uh, sounds pretty pleasant. And after 16 months of marriage, Betty and Barney saw this trip uh, through Montreal and Niagara Falls as their delayed honeymoon. So they left uh, pretty impulsively. They didn't plan a ton, didn't really have a ton of time to go to the bank before it closed for the weekend, and they ended up getting in their car with less than $70 in their pockets. On the last night of their three-day trip, they were pretty sleepy, so they stopped for coffee in a Vermont diner to recharge before their drive. Barney was like, you know, we'll push through, drive through the night. There is a wind and rainstorm that is coming through. Uh, There's an approaching hurricane. Let's get home before it happens. So they go to the diner. They leave around 10 p.m., estimating that they would be home around 2 or 3 a.m. at the latest, based on how long it would take to get there. So they're driving. They haven't seen a car for a pretty long time, for miles. It was a pretty dark, desolate drive. And as they're driving, all of a sudden, a strange light in the sky gave them another reason to hurry. At first, it looked like a falling star, but it grew larger and brighter as it gained on them. Barney, an avid plane watcher and a World War II vet, was sure that they had nothing to worry about. He goes, pshh. It's just a
0: satellite, he tells Betty. It probably went off course. Is that, I'm sorry, is It's Just a Satellite, the uh, alien version of It's a Mannequin?
1: Or it, It's it's a Ghost when it's an Orb? Um, <laughs> for Barney's case, yeah. <laughs> um, now, what's funny is Betty was like, yeah, no, that's not a satellite. This is not how a satellite moves. So this light seemed to move with the car as Barney steered down the curving mountain road. And at first they thought maybe it wasn't moving. Maybe it was just the motion of the car that made it appear like this light was moving with them. Do you ever, like, drive and look out the window at the moon and it looks like the moon is, like, following you because it's so far away? Yeah. Like, that kind of illusion?
0: Sometimes when I used to drive, like, through, um the the like drive through the woods and you've got mm-hmm. the really tall trees mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. if you're going fast enough it kind of looks like a giant is running alongside you
1: yeah that's the same kind of thing that they yeah. were talking about that's where like is it following us is it not following us mm-hmm. it was kind of hard to gauge but then the light started to move with the car in a weird way it was mm-hmm. zigging and zagging all over the place it actually ducked past the moon and behind the trees and mountain ridges and then reappeared moments later so that was weird Um, sometimes it seemed to move toward them in a game of like cat and mouse. Mm -hmm. So Barney is then thinking maybe it's like a pilot playing a game with them, Hmm. but they thought it had to be an illusion. Maybe it was just like the moon thing that we were talking about. It made it seem like the light was moving. Um, but it just seemed off and weird and not normal. Not like anything they'd seen before. Hmm. So they get curious, and they're like, you know what? We're going to just check it out. Stop the car. So they pull over into a road stop to see Mm -hmm. if it continues to move, and they get a closer look. Now, for their trip, Barney had brought binoculars, so Betty grabs them and starts looking at the white light, realizing that actually it's an object spinning in the air that looks like a pancake, like a well-lit pancake. Hmm. And she says, Barney... If you think that's a satellite or a star, you're being completely ridiculous. (laughs) I like Betty. (laughs) Betty's great. You're going to love Betty. Um, Although I feel like Betty is like the Mulder and Barney is like the Scully, but we'll get to that in a bit. So fun fact, back in 1957, Betty's sister and family had described seeing a UFO pretty clearly in Kingston, New Hampshire. And so they were a whole bunch of believers at the time, and Barney knew about this and thought that she was going to bring it up in the moment. Like, I know that this is the thing, but Betty didn't say anything. He knew, honestly, that she was right, but wouldn't admit it. Barney had an IQ of 140 and was the world's biggest scully slash skeptic.
0: Oh, Barney, my bud.
1: Right? <laughs> uh, Barney was a pragmatic man. He would never give flying saucers... Just a second thought at all. His niece Kathleen Martin wrote in her book, Captured the Betty and Barney Hill Experience. Hmm. And what was extra weird was that it was super quiet. There was no noise. It was too quiet for it to be a helicopter, a commercial plane, or even a military jet with some like really bomb pilot, pun -hmm. intended. Uh, Though Barney suggested it was a commercial plane at one point too. But he didn't want to freak out Betty. He was being pretty chill, but Mm -hmm. internally, he was getting a bit concerned. His logical mind could not explain the craft, but he tried to play it cool. So about 70 miles past the diner, the object just hovered right above the treetops, about 100 feet above them. Barney then abruptly stopped the car, kept the engine running. He shoved a handgun he'd hidden beneath the seat into his pocket and felt the urge to leave the car suddenly. So he leaves, rushes out to a dark field, and leaves Betty in the car. Hmm. What he saw was as big as a jet, but as round and flat as a pancake. It had lights around the center, flashing persistently, red, amber, green, and blue. My God, what is this thing, he recalled thinking. This can't be real. Behind rows of windows, about half a dozen slash some references say 9 to 10, gray uniformed beings seemed to look right at him, Barney recalled. They were wearing black uniforms, were hairless, and had gray skin with large eyes that wrapped around their skulls. He saw one being pull some levers, and then something started happening with the ship. The flashing lights stopped and changed from multicolor to a bright white light. Then suddenly, two fin like projections on either side start to slide out, each with a red light on it, and a ramp then started to lower from the center of the pancake. We're just gonna keep calling it a pancake. Delicious. (laughs) Yum, yum, yum. Give me syrup. Um, (laughs) Still, there was no sound. It was completely silent, which just baffled Barney. He tried to lift his hand to his pistol, but somehow he couldn't. He was frozen. An internal voice told him not to put down his binoculars. He kept staring. He then had a startling thought. We're about to be captured. He snapped out of it, turned, and ran back to the car. At this point, he's fully hysterical, yelling, tells Betty to get in the car. He got in the car, and they barrel down the road as Betty tracks the craft, craning her head outside of the car window with her binoculars. She doesn't see anything, though. She can't find the craft. Delsey, the pup, flipping out. Understandably. Trust your animals. Um, without explanation, a loud, rhythmic, electronic-sounding beeping vibrated the car. It seemed to be coming from the trunk. The sound was reminiscent of hitting like a tuning fork. It was a bizarre sound. It sounded very metal They each began to feel an odd tingling of drowsiness come over them and then faded to lost consciousness. They came to around two hours later, but at the time they weren't sure how much time had actually passed. They heard that beeping again, but now they were 35 miles down the road from where they had started. Hmm. They didn't remember anything after that first set of beeping that had knocked them out. They clearly had lost time, but Mm -hmm. couldn't explain it. And they both lost time. They both did. They both had amnesia Mm -hmm. from that period of time, which is weird. Yeah. Betty famously asked Barney, now do you believe in flying saucers? (laughs) Wait, wait, it gets better. And he recalls answering, don't be ridiculous. Of course not. Ah, ah, ah. I feel like Barney and I would be friends. (laughs) my my commentary to that was lol men denial (laughs) Betty thought that's the way Barney is if something frightens him or he doesn't like it he just says to himself that it never happened Barney to a degree will confess to this end quote so let's talk about the aftermath what happened after this they then proceeded to drive home and they were both in a kind of stupor they felt off contaminated When they finally got home to Portsmouth at dawn, they felt dirty and realized that their watches actually stopped working. They had to check the time in the clock in their house to make sure they knew what time it was. And it actually taken them a lot longer to get home than they thought. It was now 5 a.m. So if you recall, they thought they were going to get home between like 2 and 3, but now it's 5. So that's significantly later. And Mm. they can't explain that time loss. Barney's shoes were strangely and badly scuffed on the tops of the shoes. Hmm. Uh, It was kind of hard for him to explain. He was a dude who was really pristine about, like, his image and the way he looked, and his shoes were never scuffed. So to see this was shocking for him, and he didn't know how it happened. The leather strap for his binoculars was freshly and cleanly broken in half, and Betty's dress was ripped on the outside layer. Hmm. She took her dress and shoes off and hung them in the back of her closet and literally never washed or wore them again. Hmm. Barney's lower abdomen was bothering him. He had a bit of a soreness on the back of his neck, neither of which he could explain. Barney said, quote, I felt unclean with a grime different from what usually accumulates on a trip. Unquote. Betty and Barney decided that they wouldn't tell anyone what happened initially. But Betty was adamant that she had to tell her sister and her family since they too had a previous encounter. Now, this denial of Barney and uh, drive within Betty to get answers definitely caused a bit of a rift in their relationship in the coming years, uh-huh. um, but it didn't stop Betty from telling her family what happened. So she decided to call her sister, who reminded Betty that if this actually happened, they could have been exposed to radiation, and that was concerning.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So she asked her sister, in some accounts it says her mom, <laughs> tomato, tomato, yeah, um, to talk to their neighbor, physicist. And ask what the physicists would do in the situation. So their physicist neighbor told them to put a compass in the car to measure a magnetic field to see how the needle would react. This allegedly would mean that this physicist knew a thing or two about UFOs uh, if this was a suggestion. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wanted to learn more about that and I couldn't find anything more on it or his name. So like take that with a grain of salt. But I figured I would share that detail. So. They go out to the car, right? Mm-hmm. They got this compass. Um, in one of the books that I read, which I'll talk about in a bit, um, it's really funny when Betty's just, like, asking Barney, hey, where's the compass? And he's like, find it on your own. And she's like, you're a great help. <laughs> like, <laughs> they, they had a lot of sass between the two of them, which I thought was funny. Um, also, probably very annoying for Betty. Um, <laughs> but Barney notices that the car had 15 to 20 silver dollar sized shiny spots on the trunk of the car. They were the same color of the car, but they were super shiny as though they had been highly polished. And when placing the compass over these spots, Mm -hmm. the compass reacted erratically. It would go nuts only on the spots, which seemed weird. And they couldn't really explain why. So they decided to report the incident to the police after much deliberation, who then directed them to the Peace Air Force Space. I thought this was spelled peace-like. Peace in the world. Uh, Mm -hmm. It's P E A S E. Um, And Peace Air Force Space took their story. And at first, they didn't think much of it, but all of a sudden they started to hear these details about red lights and wing extensions. And when they heard these details, they started to take it a little bit more seriously. Major Paul W. Henderson of the 100th Bomb Wing at the Peace Base wrote a report to Project Blue Book the Air Force unit of uh, the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base that handled thousands of UFO sightings from over the entire country. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting when you read about the whole Project Blue Book situation. There are mixed reviews on this particular report. Some people say it's government conspiracy, which is not surprising at all. Mm -hmm. Um, Well, another resource that seems to be pretty reliable said that Henderson indicated that, quote, the Hills need not have had the concern about being laughed at when they made their faltering call to the base after their experience, end quote. Hold on to that. We'll come back to that in a little bit. There was actually another report of the sighting that same night. The controller at the tower had reported an unusual craft seen on the radar at 2.14 a.m. that night. Was it the same craft? We'll never know. Now, let's evaluate the times. In the 1940s and 50s, the government was more concerned with the reaction of the public to this type of stuff. Um, And basically gaslit everyone to believe that UFOs weren't real for, like, decades. I mean, Roswell had just happened in 1947, so this was a fairly fresh topic. There were Mm -hmm. a couple of other sightings that were debunked immediately after that, right before this happened, Mm -hmm. debunked in air quotes. I'm going to just say that. Um, And sidebar, Betty and Barney lived really close to a nuclear bomber base. That's the one we're talking about. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Roswell was also connected to a nuclear space. Is it a coincidence? Mm. Just a thought. Mm. Let you marinate on that. Mm -hmm. And now, as this was in the 1960s... People were conditioned at this point to not believe, which TBH, not much has totally changed today until recently. I feel like with all the technology we have now and the documentation we're able to have now, it's been a bit of a shift and it's always fun when the government comes out and talks about aliens during a pandemic, but Uh that's a story for another time. Uh, There's been an artificial stigma of conspiracy associated with UFOs for a while. This is Mm -hmm. not new. So it would make sense that someone like Barney, who was a black man working as a postal worker Mm. and Mm -hmm. heavily involved in the civil rights movement, absolutely valued credibility, would not want to go public with the experience, let alone admit what happened. I completely get that, especially Mm -hmm. for this time when civil rights were such a huge deal. Um, And he was married to a white woman. Betty was white. She was a social worker with a degree from the University of New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. And in Discovery Plus's documentary Alien Abduction, Betty and Barney Hill, uh, Kathleen Martin, Betty's niece, described Mm -hmm. her as incredibly caring and very opinionated. She wanted to be a part of the world. She welcomed debate on topics that she was passionate about and also grew up in a liberal household where she was taught to stand with those who needed allies. And this actually drove her to be a social worker, where she handled state child welfare cases, was involved in civil rights, uh, worked for abused children, and also worked with an adoption. So she just really loved helping people. Mm -hmm. Barney had an IQ of 140. I know I mentioned that earlier. And it makes me so sad to read that he had wanted to go to college to become an engineer, which sounds like it would have been the perfect job for him. But because he was black, he was told he would never be able to. Mm. I hate this so much. Um, But it was those times, the 60s. He joined the Army just before uh, World War II. Oh, well, I guess before that, it wasn't the 60s. It was the 40s. (laughs) But (laughs) um, even then, still accurate. Um, He joined the Army just before World War II. He was a marksman and a truck driver. He ended up getting wounded and then worked as a post office um, postal worker for many years. And he actually drove 60 miles to and from work every day. It was exhausting. That's a lot. That's hard. That's a hard job. Before Betty, he married someone else, had two sons, then got divorced, and then began the relationship with Betty, who was four years his senior. And um, he eventually moved to Portsmouth and married Betty after dating for a few years. There was a fairly large African-American population in Portsmouth, and he and Betty were one of very few biracial marriages.
0: Mm.
1: Even though Portsmouth was in northern New England, uh, systemic racism was still alive and well (laughs) at the time.
0: Still is.
1: (laughs) Right? So both Betty and Barney were active members of the NAACP, and belonged to a local Unitarian church, Barney also sat on a local board of the U.S. Civil Rights Commission. So they were involved within their community, within politics, and were very reputable people.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Barney was known as a vocal person standing up for his rights, which mm-hmm. didn't always rub everyone the right way, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. And while many thought that a biracial couple was a big deal at the time, which it was to a degree, it didn't really bother Barney and Betty. They weren't really concerned with it. They were more concerned about supporting their community. They were Mm -hmm. respected individuals, and they didn't let their skin colors stop them from making an impact. All of this plays a huge factor in whether or not or why they would talk Mm -hmm. and why they didn't want to go public. So while Betty wanted answers and was really eager to, like, talk to her family about it, she also knew the potential consequences of going more public with the story. Speaking about aliens was a risk to not just her, but to Barney, to devalidate his reputation, which would make his telling of the story a much bigger deal. So I I get it. I understand why Barney was really not wanting to talk about it. Yeah, Right. absolutely. I mean, everything was really... um, Timely during this period of time, like there's a lot going on. Now, what's interesting is that Betty just couldn't give up looking for answers. She actually had some really wild dreams. Hmm. About 10 days after the incident, she started having really vivid dreams for five nights straight. And these dreams seem to indicate what happened in the time that she and Barney could not remember the time between the beeps. Mm. Her dreams depicted an encounter with human-like entities that surrounded the car, then took Betty and Barney onto a craft to do highly unusual physical examinations. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, I actually have something to share with you. Okay. In a rare interview from 1968, Betty talks about what happened aboard the craft in her dreams.
0: First, they took Barney into one room, and I went into a second room. In this room... They did what I would call a fairly simple physical examination. They seemed to have uh, mostly interest in my skin. Uh, I had the idea they were taking pictures of my skin, also interest in my hands and my feet. They also did a test which they called checking my nervous system. Throughout the whole examination it would be like picking up some kind of a strange animal and looking it over, giving it a checkup and putting it back down again without any intentions of harming
1: it. It's pretty wild hearing it, like, straight from the source and having a recording of someone talking about their experience. There's a lot of these that you can find if you mm-hmm. look them up. Um, but that's just Betty's description of her dream. Like, that's a really specific dream. Um, and, okay. Hmm. Okay. Now, I know what you're going to say, Scully. Betty had studied psychology.
0: <sighs> uh-huh.
1: Um, and she knew that dreams could occur or dreams that do occur right before waking when you're in that deep hypnotic sleep can Mm -hmm. actually include factual information, but can be enhanced by fantastic
0: details. So,
1: yes, Kim, thoughts?
0: I'm just saying, you know how many times Jason Voorhees has shown up in my dreams? That's telling. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just, I'm just saying, like, I mean, a dream is, is still a dream. Dream.
1: that's true um so she tells her supervisor at work about this dream
0: and, and the this supervisor, is shortly after it all happened or
1: okay. this is 10 days after okay um but she continued to have these dreams like night after night after night and it was like the same stuff which but that, she's also me, fixated on this 100 percent. yes
0: yeah <laughs>
1: um but her supervisor suggested that the dreams actually happened between the beeping sounds that she couldn't remember and might replace that time that they couldn't recall so Mm -hmm. she's now talking to her supervisor at work about this incident so Mm -hmm. now certain people are hearing about it that are not her family Mm -hmm. um betty wanted answers so she visits her library to check out the flying saucer conspiracy by donald e kehoe uh donald e kehoe was a a widely regarded ufo expert and had Mm -hmm. many theories of government cover-ups conspiracies and interstellar war uh, he had at least 800 reports of people trained to know things in the sky and reports of UFOs. And through her research, she also discovered the civilian UFO group, National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena, also known as NICAP. <laughs> when I heard about this, I thought it was Nightcap, and <laughs> researching Nightcap was a real hard time. Um, that's a story for another time.
0: Another so, time
1: when she was researching NICAP, she found out about a guy named Walter Webb who worked Mm. for NICAP and they got in touch with him. Uh, This group was a UFO research group that brought in scientists and medical professionals to investigate UFO events. And it Mm -hmm. was the most active in the U.S. between the 50s and the 80s and currently Mm -hmm. actually remains active primarily as an informational depository on UFO phenomena. Mm -hmm. Um, And October 21st, 1961, Walter Webb interviewed both Barney and Betty. First, he interviewed them separately and then he interviewed them together to get their reports separately see how they lined up. And Barney reported to Walter Webb that the beings were somehow not human. He believed their story. They were consistent in their details and were reliable, credible individuals with a lot to lose by talking about this stuff. Mm -hmm. This was the first time it was noted that people should listen to alleged abductees and not just brush them off. Mm -hmm. In coming years, both Barney and Betty presented crippling anxiety manifested by Barney openly. And he had a physical ulcer from this and Betty through her repetitive nightmarish dreams that implicated what actually happened to them. This happened for a long period of time, not just for five days after it happened. This continued to happen for years. They needed help. So the two met with Benjamin Simon. He was a psychiatrist, a neurologist who specialized in regressive hypnosis mm-hmm. at the time, pretty mainstream technique, and Dr. Benjamin Simon was a colonel in the Army and was known for his use of deep hypnosis for what we now know as PTSD in soldiers. So he took both Barney and Betty on to help them.
0: They May I under- ask when this was in comparison to when the incident happened?
1: Yes. This happened, uh, the first treatment was January 4th, 1964. So this is a few um, so this years is three afterwards. years later. Yes. Okay. And it they went... And had um, this type of support for six months. So they ended in June 1964. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting about this is that everything that we talked about happening to Betty and Barney up until this point was remembered from their experience prior to this hypnosis. Mm -hmm. So, you know, seeing this thing in the sky, seeing nine to ten alien dudes, seeing this thing come down, all of that was remembered um, without hypnosis. And so what's interesting is what they remembered from the hypnosis in addition to that. So they went under a deep trance, and they started with Barney first. So Simon's goal was to help the couple piece together what they thought happened between Betty's dreams and what they remembered. So in Barney's treatment, Barney recalled everything that we talked about already, so he repeated all the stuff that he remembered prior to the beeping sound in the car. Mm-hmm. He recalled being in the field and seeing the UFO and then started to panic, saying he wanted to wake up during the hypnosis and that he was so scared and started to get hysterical in the, in the actual like hypnosis. And you can hear this in the documentary that I, I mentioned as well as look up the tapes. It's actually very sad to listen to. He says that the aliens were telepathically telling him to stay there and keep looking. In another hypnosis session, he remembered hearing the beeps, then not knowing why he turned down a dirt road, then saw a bright orb and a bunch of beings in black outfits standing in the road, and said it was the same beings from the field that he saw in the pancake. Then a vessel landed on Hill's car and put them to sleep. This is when he starts to remember more details. Afterward, gray beings walked up to them and brought them up a long ramp into the spacecraft. Once inside, the hills were separated, taking turns in an examination room that had curved walls and a large light hanging from the ceiling. Each of them were asked to climb up onto a metal table, and apparently the table was so short that Barney's legs hung over the edge. And during the examinations, the beings removed Betty and Barney's clothes, plucked strands of hair from their head, took clippings of their nails, and scraped their skin. Very similar to what Betty talked about in her dreams. Each sample was placed on a clear material, very similar to like a glass slide. And needles connected to long wires probed their heads, arms, legs, and spines. Now, during Barney's physical examination, he recalled that they slid something up his butt. Comfortably, not painfully. <laughs> And then something was placed on his genital area and a sperm sample was allegedly taken and then he was released. During Betty's treatment, Betty remembered everything that she had previously reported, just like Barney had, but also added that she remembered seeing Barney driving down a dirt road and didn't know where they were going. So that lines up with Barney's story, too. She then begins crying. And she starts talking about seeing the men in the road, saying she had never been so afraid in her life. It's so sad to hear them talk, to about this. It's, like, really heartbreaking. She then remembered the aliens escorting her through the woods to the aircraft. She went up the ramp inside. They told her she would not be harmed, that there was nothing to be afraid of. They just wanted to take some tests, and then she'd be on her way. But she didn't believe them and panicked. So she then kicks one that's standing next to her, which I think is very funny, uh, which allegedly explains the rip on what is said to be the hem of her dress. However, I saw a picture of the dress and there's actually a rip toward the top of the dress, so that doesn't line up. I guess hold on to that for fun facts. Okay. She was then put into control by them and they put her on a table in the room, in one of the rooms, and Barney was in the room next door. She then uh, met someone called the examiner, and he unzipped her dress as she removed it. They used some item to press down her spine, took skin samples as she had talked about, rolled her on her back, and the examiner had a needle bigger than any needle she had ever seen. It was like four to six inches long. No, thank you. So, I mean, rightfully, she freaks out. This uh, examiner guy says, oh, it's not going to hurt, and then stabs her in the navel navel with it. It hurt real bad. Um, And the leader put his hand over her eyes and said, there will be no more pain, and then suddenly the pain went away. She was later told it was a pregnancy test, which is super weird. At the time, she was 42 also, just to note age. Now, throughout all of this, a being Barney and Betty called the leader watched from the side. Sidebar, not sure if it's the same guy as the examiner or if it's a different person, but mm. there's lots of talk in different reports and conflicting resources. One says a leader, one says the examiner. Could be the same, could be different. After Betty's examination ended, the beings rushed into her room really excited. This is very funny. You're going to like this. <laughs> um they apparently discovered that Barney's teeth could be removed because he had dentures. Ah, uh, that's very exciting. Betty starts cracking up and she explains that actually, no, he, he has fake teeth. <laughs> uh, that
0: apparently... If you can't laugh with aliens, who can you laugh with? Truly. And apparently
1: um, the aliens had a really hard time understanding aging. Like she tried to explain that like as you get older, you might need fake teeth. And they just like didn't get it. <laughs> Which I, I just think is very funny um later she was alone with this leader guy and asked where the craft had flown like where where are they from admitting she knew very little about the universe the being joked with her saying quote if you don't know where you are there wouldn't be any point in telling you where i am quote unquote i'm sorry i love that these dudes have a sense of humor can we get more of this please like This joking, jokiness of uh, aliens with you. Like, love that sarcasm. Um, Now, later under hypnosis, she drew a star map that was shown to her on the ship, allegedly, which would actually be used as evidence.
0: Evidence. Evidence.
1: Evidence. Mm. Evidence. (laughs) We'll come back to that. Reluctant evidence on that. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Air quotes in evidence. Thank you. Um, Thank you. But we'll come back to that story in a little bit. This will happen later in the 70s. So then they both get dressed and escorted back to their car. And that's when Betty asked if, <laughs> you know, he, he they wake up and she asks, you know, Bernie, the, the famous question, do you believe in flying saucers? And he goes, no. Yeah. Um, I think, and she thinks that he was just in disbelief and trying to explain it as something else. Or just, or... <laughs> I mean, it is pretty wild, though, that like he went through the same thing she went through, but is still in denial of it.
0: Well, like, but again, this is all wh- okay. May I, may I, lightly Scully for a moment? Yes, yeah,
1: and so we'll, we'll get to a Scully section as well. Yeah,
0: but this is all this is stuff they're talking about during the hypnosis session, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this is what two, three years after the fact, where three she's years been, later, yeah, yeah. where she actually been, it's like, like two and a half writing down and talking about her story and dreaming about it constantly. So he's been hearing all of this and listening to it and indulging and maybe getting into believing. But these are not that this isn't a hypnosis session that took place the day after where there's been no time do you know what I mean? Like yeah. of course this is what she believes this. Uh, of course this is what's coming up. And he didn't I mean, his initial thing was, no, it was a plane. A couple years later, after listening to his wife talk, I mean, at that point, he might just be like, oh, my God. Yes, you're right. It was an alien. Stop. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I I hear you. And it's interesting that you say that
1: because I I always wanted to know, well, what was the psychiatrist's analysis, right? Mm -hmm. Like an outsider. So he thought that they had some kind of transference between them, which makes sense if what you're saying is he was impacted by her talking about it for a yeah. long time,
0: constantly, yeah, constantly talking about it.
1: And it suggests that there was that Betty had a psychological condition specifically, and she was way more into the story than Barney was. But well, generally, she for his was, part, what it sounds
0: like she thought that her sister had seen an alien a couple of years prior, right?
1: They, her sister, and the family saw a UFO uh, right. So prior. this is, but yeah.
0: she's already she she's. This is a thing she's fixated on. She had been for years. She's the she's the Mulder, and he's the Scully. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I know we're we're gonna get more into the Scullying. I just I just feel like this is very much somebody who wants so badly to have experienced something. Uh and sh- yeah, do you, do you know what I mean? I mean, like there's there's it's. I look at the Satanic Panic. There's. We we as humans we grab onto things and convince ourselves something happened or false memories things where you like I see myself doing this and I'm like mm, if you see see yourself doing it it's not a real memory because we don't We're gonna see talk ourselves about doing things
1: false memories in a bit yeah
0: false memories are are a real thing so I just have to wonder with how I mean there is such a thing as being too open to an idea <laughs> it's how it's how some of our haunting stories become something that they're not. Because if you're told an area is haunted and you're told this is what happens after a while, you experience it, whether or not you're actually experiencing that or you think you're experiencing it. You know that's what I fair. mean? Yeah, but 100%. Again, I, I appreciate, I'm sorry, I've taken this a that's little okay. far ahead. I We're going to talk
1: about that, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're okay. definitely going to talk about that. Okay. Um, and that's why I I love that you said what you said because the, the psychiatrist, Dr. Simon, was similarly impacted and so for his part it was almost like a split thing like he never felt that the hills made up their story
0: right i don't think that they are at all right
1: and he concluded that betty had dreamed the abduction and that barney had absorbed her story as you Mm -hmm. had said especially since many of the most vivid details match the descriptions of the dream that betty had jotted down just after the event so she didn't just have a dream she wrote it down
0: she wrote it down
1: and, and shared he, it. And shared with it with yeah. people. And, mm-hmm. and then he said in a 70s radio program, I believe implicitly in the honesty of these people. So mm-hmm. it's not that they were lying or anything. No. They genuinely believe that this
0: happened. They believe this, absolutely. <sighs> However, I, believe, I believe she especially 100% believes this happened.
1: And the hypnosis actually validated it even more for them.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, and of
1: course. so Barney at this point just accepted it as real. He had talked to a few military officers that he knew, had told him that aliens were real based on all of this research that was being done.
0: On the Project and, Blue Book stuff. And, yeah. yeah.
1: But what's interesting, and we'll get to Project Blue Book in a second, um, he had just come to terms with it at that point. Like, he didn't mm. want to admit it, but he came to terms with it. Mm-hmm. They would even take trips up to the White Mountains to try to jog their memories of what happened even more on their own. Didn't really do a ton for them. And at this point, they had only really talked to some close family, some close friends about the circumstance, their psychiatrist, of course, and reported to the Air Force, a couple UFO specialists, but they didn't go public-public with it. Sure. This was all within, like, a a bit of a confidentiality to a degree, depending on the people that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. But not everyone would want to keep their lips closed, not with uh, some hot goss about aliens. So they got some unwanted publicity. Mm. In 1965, October to be specific, spooky season. Spooky season. Um, the Boston Traveler printed a five part series detailing the abduction and hypnosis sessions written by John Luttrell mm. without permission from Betty and Barney. Mm. This was a total violation of confidentiality. Mm-hmm. John Luttrell received confidential information from a friend of Betty's. So somebody had loose lips. Mm. He approached Betty and Barney asking for an interview, but they rejected him, saying that they didn't want their story to be told. He even approached their psychiatrist, Dr. Simon, who also refused due to patient confidentiality. Sure. So all these people are saying, no, please don't talk about this. And he goes, "Mm, it's about aliens. It's my responsibility to tell the world. Mm, That's not how that works. But it happened. Mm-hmm. And Betty and Barney were then unwillingly thrust into the public spotlight and they had no choice but to tell the story themselves once it went public to right or wrong whatever was told about
0: them, right? Mhm. Mm-hmm.
1: This was the first time that Americans had been abducted and spoke publicly about it.
0: Mm-hmm. It was
1: the first time that time was missing in this type of scenario. Mm-hmm. It was also the first time hypnosis was used to uncover what happened.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was the first time that the Greys were described, leading to the pop culture inspiration we now know. They ended up in Look Magazine, which at the time was a pretty big deal. It mm-hmm. totally changed their lives. They traveled for TV shows, radio shows, all kinds of publicity for their story, which made you know their family actually think that people were actually taking them seriously if everyone wanted to hear about this. Sure. It actually even became the subject of a best selling book and a movie starring James Earl Jones. (gasps) Love James Earl Jones. Right. Um, And they became pretty much like celebrity abductees overnight. Mm. Now, fun fact I read a book for this uh, research. It is called The Interrupted Journey by John G. Fuller. Mm -hmm. And this book was mainly written so that Betty and Barney could tell their own story after all of this came out. It was published in 1966. And Fuller got permission from the psychiatrist, Dr. Simon, to use the Mm -hmm. tapes of the hypnosis after Betty and Barney gave their approval, and Simon even wrote the introduction to the book. Most of what I talk about here is actually taken from that account, so it's direct from Betty and Barney. Okay. But there's always going to be skeptics. Scully's going to Scully. People will question what really happened. And one of the people that really wanted to continue moldering was Kathleen Martin, their niece. Mm -hmm. She spent 40 years researching the incident to validate the experience. And what's wild is, and she's actually a big part of that documentary I mentioned too. So if you want to hear more from her, you can watch that. But in the process, she found lots of bogus information that did not align with what she remembers from her aunt and uncle directly telling her these stories. Mm. She found a highly classified government document supporting a cover-up of alien encounters. Specifically, Project Blue Book. Project Blue Book, yeah. (laughs) We talked about that earlier. I said I was coming back to it. Here we Uh are. It was the government UFO program that partnered with the Air Force at the time, and Mm -hmm. this case actually began quite a bit of their involvement in future cases. But, I don't know, maybe don't trust everything the government tells you. Be like Mulder. (laughs) Trust no one. Trust no one. In 1963 a false letter had been written by Project Blue Book that contradicted Barney and Betty's statements, suggesting that the craft, quote, had no specific details on maneuverability and there was no there were no lateral or vertical movements, that the object was in all probability Jupiter, end quote. So they tried to make it sound like the planet Jupiter was just a star and they thought it was following them, but it wasn't moving around and it was just Jupiter. Sure. So Betty and Barney actually talked about it did move around a lot mm-hmm. it didn't stay still and it was completely contradictory to what the letter said so molders are gonna molder uh what happened to betty and barney happened dozens of times since 1961 but were covered up consistently we got some evidence evidence evidence, evidence. john luttrell the asshole that wrote the uh, i'm gonna call him an asshole i don't yeah, like it's him. okay it's his
0: official name john luttrell the <laughs> asshole the
1: asshole Uh, The guy who wrote the five-part article without permission, Mm -hmm. he actually admitted to interviewing 12 to 14 other witnesses in the White Mountains who gave the same description on the same night and the same time frame at the Mm. same location of the Betty and Barney incident, Mm. but he didn't include any of it in the articles that were published. Mm. That's some shady shit. Shady shit. Why wouldn't you? If you have all this information that could validate someone's experience, why would you not include it? That seems weird. Mm Mm-hmm. When he left the Boston Traveler, he gave the file with the witnesses to his editor. Since then, the file has disappeared. Mm. That's some shady shit. That's some shady shit? Some other evidence. 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 Betty's dress. So, apparently, she held on to that dress for many years, right? Sure, she never sure. washed it, never wore it, put it in the back of her closet. It was one of those dresses that had two layers. It had an inner layer of a dress and an outer layer of the dress, right? So... The inner lining, when it was turned inside out,
0: mm-hmm.
1: had blood spots near the belly button, like right at the waist area, that were not <sighs> menstrual spots. They tested they, it, and it was blood. It was her blood. It was okay. Betty's blood. Specifically, it was tested, and it was her blood, okay. which supports the needle in the belly button situation, sure. potentially. It could also be other things, right? But sure. it's, it's interesting that it's on the inside lining, not the mm-hmm. outside lining. Not
0: the outside, yeah.
1: Now, in the 1970s, the Hill abduction story blew up again. Remember uh, that star map I talked about that Betty drew? I do. (laughs) So, allegedly, during the abduction, if you recall, Betty asked the leader where they were from. The leader showed her this uh, 3D map of dots and curved lines, one with a big circle, lots of lines coming out of it, going into another smaller circle. Apparently, the broken lines were expeditions. I have a picture to share with you, Kim. So this is an interpretation I was going to say, of, this is not
0: her original drawing. <laughs> no. Her original a,
1: drawing was not this coherent. <laughs> this drawing was done by someone else. Mm-hmm. She had reproduced the map. Betty had reproduced the map by memory in her hypnotic state with a psychiatrist, if you recall. Mm-hmm. But this is where shit gets real wild. In 1974, an Ohio school teacher, Marjorie Fish claimed Mm -hmm. to have deciphered the map and located the star system where it was located. She drew up different concoctions of the stars. So the map that you just saw was done Mm -hmm. by Marjorie Fish, Mm -hmm. not by Betty. And this particular one matched perfectly with what uh, was originally produced from Betty. It was just more complex. And according to her evidence, evidence, the beings came from zeta reticuli, mm-hmm. a binary star system located 39 light years from Earth. Main sequence stars, like our sun, could mm-hmm. have similar patterns to our solar system with planets that could support life. Allegedly, <laughs> allegedly, <laughs> mm-hmm. allegedly, <laughs> this means that the solar system is rich in exoplanets. Exoplanets are planets that could sustain life. hmm So could this validate and prove the experience?
0: Kim says no. Maybe. (gasps) Just let me know when I can start scullying and I'm going (laughs) to... Scullies are
1: going to scully. All right. This is where we're getting to the scullies are going to scully. Psychology of abductees. Um, Richard J. McNally, a Harvard psychologist, said, quote, the alien abduction phenomena shows how sincere, non-psychotic individuals can develop beliefs about and false memories of... Incredible experiences that never happened. Mm. Experts have tried to explain why intelligent, otherwise mentally stable people come (laughs) forward with these experiences. So you could be a really reliable resource. You could be someone that's highly reputable and Mm -hmm. still have experiences like this, like Betty and Barney. Many psychologists say sleep paralysis and hallucinations Mm -hmm. can play a role. Leading questions during hypnosis, suggestive interviewing can impact the answers Mm -hmm. that they get during hypnosis, similarly to, like, interrogating people for Mm -hmm. crimes. Um, Those who report abduction might see the world a little differently. I love Mm -hmm. this. This is my favorite part of this whole thing. According to research, air quotes research, um, one of the strongest predictors of false recall is a vivid imagination. This group scores high in quote magical ideation, Mm. and is more likely to believe in ghosts and tarot readings. Mm. (sighs) Hi, (laughs) hi, friends. (laughs) What's up? That this guy, one has two thumbs and loves tarot and ghosts. It's you. This guy.
0: It's it's you. You the you the you the guy.
1: I'm the guy. I cracked up so hard when I wrote that. Um, Now. Some believe that Hill's story was a simply bit of a myth in the making, you know, supernatural meetings, vulnerable protagonists, mm-hmm. otherworldly journeys. Sure. Lots of legends and lore abound, right? Absolutely. But many point to stress as being uh, an interracial couple living mm-hmm. in a predominantly white state in a turbulent era impacting this thought process and causing them to come up with this.
0: Now in 19... It's it's late at night, too. Yeah. Like, it's, I mean, sleep deprivation, (laughs) it's worse than alcohol. Like... Oh, I could speak to that. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, you know, you're, you're, it's, it's late at night. They were driving home real late.
1: Yeah. But when a lot of these memories were coming back to them was like years later, to your point, right? Mm -hmm. So in 1964 was when they had the hypnosis. That year, specifically, if you look at history, was marked by Cold War tensions, civil rights unrest,
0: uh, lots of urban riots. Well, do you know what else? I don't know. Again, <laughs> let me know when I can start scullying. Yeah. No, go for it. Uh, before, so April 13th, 1962, an episode of The Twilight Zone aired called Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. Oh. Uh, I want you to look at this picture, <laughs> Gabby, of the alien in Hocus Pocus and Frisbee. Oh, yeah.
1: That's a a great alien.
0: It's a great alien, right? And shortly before they did their hypnosis session, there was also an episode of a show called The Outer Limits, called The Bolero Shield. Why don't you look at these (laughs) pictures from The Bolero Shield?
1: Oh, this is fun.
0: Oh, yeah. Look at these guys. And by her own account, the way she described the aliens prior to the hypnosis was very different. It was only after the hypnosis and after, I believe, Barney was the one that started the physical description of the aliens in that manner Mm -hmm. that it swapped to the gray alien. Look at that. But she was describing the aliens differently. They were short guys with black hair and Jimmy Durante's noses, whatever that means. Who's Jimmy who's
1: Jimmy Durante.
0: Jimmy Durante.
1: Oh this is, is fun.
0: Isn't this fun? So that's what yeah. I say, let me know when I can start. And I'm gonna no, Jimmy Durante um, we'll, we'll was a comedian we'll go with back and forth. a very distinct nose. Okay, okay. Oh here. I'll, I'll post this here, take a look at this picture.
1: We'll have to post these pictures in there. We'll have to Instagram. post these pictures.
0: So oh my per- God. that is a nose. That is a nose. But prior to the hypnosis, her written description was that. Was short guys, black hair, Jimmy Duranty noses. According to uh, this is a favorite podcast of mine. It's called Skeptoid, mm-hmm. and they the according to Skeptoid, <laughs> this was the the analysis. There's also okay. So the the school teacher who put together yes the star map
1: yes. So
0: she described the star map as three dimensional. Yes. And she redrew it on paper. It's two-dimensional. Right. Which is like a couple of dots with lines. <laughs> right. And it's I not really precise. Yeah. Right? So this school teacher, it took her years yeah. doing this. It did. So she's the one that had, yeah, the, the, the Zeta, Reda, blah, yeah. blah, 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 that,
1: that, Yeah, that's what I talked about.
0: Other ufologists have different interpretations. Carl Sagan and other astronomers have said that it's not even a good match for zeta reticuli and her drawing is far too random and imprecise to make any kind of useful interpretation
1: uh-huh. with its third
0: dimension removed her map cannot contain any useful positional information so That's even fair. if she had somehow drawn it in perfect 3d this is this is again this is from skeptoid sure um it did not it did uh, Even if she had somehow drawn a perfect 3D map that did exactly align with known star positions, it still wouldn't be evidence of anything other than such reference material is widely available in sources, Uh, which, you know, in the couple years that she spent looking into this, maybe she absorbed.
1: I still think it's super impressive that she even did it to begin with. Like well, I said like, it again all she wild. did is draw
0: like you, because what you showed though is not the original drawing. You showed what someone interpreted her drawing is. The original drawing was a couple dots and some lines. Well, I was showing Marjorie is not Right, not, that's what I yeah. but that's what I mean. Yeah. So, I could draw a couple dots and lines and if I spent a, if someone spent a couple years looking at galaxy positions, they could probably find one that matched that.
1: Well, that's the whole idea of like, if you're thinking you're seeing something, you see what you want to see. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So it goes back to that, not just with the aliens, but with the map. It could be with anything, really. So what's wild, all these points are very valid, and I'm glad that you're contributing them. This is great. Um, One of the things that I found interesting, too, when we're talking about the time period is Uh that... Part of what could have been an impact on why people didn't believe them could be the fact that they were a biracial couple um, during this time of, you know, civil rights. Uh, But also, abductee stories depend on firsthand accounts. That's not the most reliable evidence, right? That's the most vulnerable form of evidence. Memories can be distorted by stress or distraction or even manufactured, to your point, Kim, And when a false memory is in place, psychologists say the brain works to fill in the details. It'll fill it in the way it thinks it should fill it in. And then you'll think that that's what actually happened. So the psychologist Michael Shermer points to patternicity, which is literally what we're just talking about, the tendency to see patterns even when none exist, suggestions that allow us to see faces in clouds or assume that one event caused another or see ghosts in windows or orbs or see that this map is a perfect match. It's the same thing. And past experience also shapes human perception, right? So, like, Barney, this is, like, kind of going back to what Barney interpreted as the aliens versus what um, Betty interpreted as the aliens. Barney was a World War II vet and thought that the head gray guy looked like Hitler, apparently, and seemed menacing, which, like, projection. Um, Betty, who had been excited to see the aliens, bantered with them apparently joked around with them during her medical examination and apparently this is another allegedly thing that an alien even allegedly agreed to give her a book to bring to earth with her she said so they had books um though other crew members would later overrule that decision and not let her take said book but like okay (laughs) that's wild like that's a projection of you think aliens have books like because you have books
0: okay But of course they have books like we have books.
1: Right. And of (laughs) course they have banter and like jokey, jokiness with others the same way. Um, Anywho, alien abduction and encounter stories have helped psychologists understand the human brain and its defects and the weaknesses inherent in memory and firsthand accounts. According to Christopher French, who's a psychologist that specializes in human experience related to the paranormal specifically. He says that what we see and hear, especially under less than ideal observational conditions, can be heavily influenced by our
0: prior beliefs and expectations. So literally what you just said. So I just found an article. Uh, It is from scientificamerican.com. And I'll send this link over to you so you can kind of look at the whole thing. And also yeah. so our, our listeners can. But it is talking about a 2008 Columbia University um, <laughs> publication called Alien Abduction, a Medical Hypothesis. Ooh. And what it is bringing up uh is something called accidental awareness under general anesthesia. Interesting. Which if if you're not familiar with with accidental awareness, um this is referring to when a patient actually wakes up during a surgery but because of the anesthesia, they may not remember it uh when they're actually like oh I'm out of my, you know, surgery. Whatever, la la la. Life is good, uh, and it it actually brings up the the Hill case, and it it's it's talking about a section of of Barney Hill when he was talking to his uh, psychiatrist under the hypnotism, mm-hmm. and so he he was asked if being probed by aliens felt like when he had a tonsillectomy and he'd had a tonsillectomy years before um because he he was commenting on the similarities between like what barney hill was describing and and uh so barney hill agrees and says like that but my eyes are closed and i only have mental pictures and i'm not in pain i can feel a slight feeling my groin feels cold while in the hypnotic trance, he told a psychiatrist, I don't want to be operated on. That is so wild. And he talks about, like, the blue fluorescent lights. Yeah. Like, in a surgical suit. And the aliens with their heads with large craniums. But, like, you know, if I'm wearing goggles and, and a surgical mask, it could be a really similar feeling. And what, okay, so this is, this is man, this article is fascinating. That's
1: wild. I'm reading through it now that you just sent it and like I could totally see how if you didn't have like a regular memory like if this came to him later but he didn't know how to identify it yeah. it could have been like he saw all these people around him operating with the bright light. Maybe the bright light caused him not to see details because that's kind of blinding, too.
0: Mm-hmm. And like
1: seeing the eyes and the head with no hair because they're wearing like
0: they're wearing the surgical their, caps. The which the is surgical, cap. so yeah, that could distort what your head looks like if you the have shape. a lot of hair, the shape yeah. of it. One. And it's bringing up, uh, you know, an example of. Um, of a, of a patient who had been a jazz aficionado and then d- developed a bizarre aversion to jazz. And it was not until years after the fact, and this is a quote from the article, she recalled hearing a favorite jazz piece playing in the OR while she was awake during surgery.
1: That's wild. That's wild.
0: But I, I, I think, particularly thinking about, like again, the head shape, the distortion of the features, and the the very surgical surroundings, all of this could be explained by, <laughs> you know, the the accidental awareness. Um, that's Man, fascinating. that
1: is that's crazy. I feel like that's um, actually one of the most probable things I've like heard at this point. Yeah, of like what, how this could have happened, and also with like this supports someone still being very truthful and honest in their. <laughs> in their depiction of whatever happened. Mm -hmm. They just are interpreting it as potentially aliens because it looks foreign to them and they have such a a blurred memory of it that it was real because it was probably from a surgery that did happen, but also could support Betty Mm -hmm. and her ideas, the way that she spoke about them Mm -hmm. and still Mm -hmm. be the supportive husband. And this can be his way of validating what happened unknowing uh, that it was from a potential surgery and tonsillectomy
0: of... or whatever yeah that's insane yeah one yeah. well, and, and particularly the the points being made that like it can be years after that some of this is coming up because you don't think i'm having these weird dreams i'm having this 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 memories whatever naturally it's from i had surgery and i must have woken up during the surgery that nobody thinks that no now i might but
1: (laughs) i mean right now i feel like you're giving (laughs) us lots of ammunition of what to do in the future but um yeah especially at the time i don't think anyone really knew about
0: that no um well and it it sounds like from from reading this article and again you can find this article in our our sources for this episode but it, it sounds like there's changes now in how they're doing some of the anesthesia process to try to minimize this happening.
1: Yeah, and I'm reading, too, about how it's hard to validate these experiences for patients because that would require doctors admitting that they screwed up their that anesthesia. Up. Yeah, And, like, to <laughs> for a doctor to, like, admit something like that is a hard feat mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. And also, like, how are they going to even know... Like, how is the doctor going to even know that they messed something up unless a patient comes forward and says that they experienced something? And if they're not realizing it until years later, why is it's not even, like,
0: validated, oh, you, I guess? Yeah, like, no, it's, it's, no, not at
1: all. It's hard to, like, support that if it's realized so much later. But, it, like, that trauma memory idea is wild. Mm-hmm. That is I don't know. You got me, Scully, in pretty hard now, <laughs> Scully. Uh, not going to lie, this was a fantastic find. Thank you yes. for contributing that.
0: Yeah, of course.
1: So I guess it just depends on who you ask and who you talk to and what your thoughts are. Because, sure. of course, the other explanation to, I don't know, they've created the story themselves with their thought processes and stress and the times and what have you, could be that the ab- abduction actually happened. The Hills stuck to their story, and despite years of skeptics and detractors, prior to this, they were reliable sources, according to their colleagues. And like many abductees, the couple never felt false memory or sleep paralysis explained what they experienced. But I guess that's just an opinion. I mean, right? you
0: wouldn't, too, right? That's the that's the problem: is that they feel so real, you you don't. The idea that your own brain is working against you is not something anyone wants to no. think about, or that, I mean, that you're remembering things incorrectly. I mean, look at, look at uh, two people's version of the same conversation. Each one is absolutely certain the encounter went down the way they see it. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. <laughs> right, right. But we don't want to believe, we, we believe we are correct. We believe we are right about things and that our memories are right. So Barney talked about looking through the um, binoculars, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, Where he was looking, he would have seen the Cannon Mountain Aerial Tramway. So, I mean, it's a tramway, right? It's the the cable cars that are going back and forth with a bunch of windows and would have had people inside who could have potentially been looking out. (laughs) So maybe what he thought he was looking at through
1: the binoculars was the tramway. Was the tramway, which
0: would have also been moving.
1: But don't you think someone as logical as Barney would, like, know that that's a
0: tramway and not something else? What is it, three in the morning? (laughs) I mean, not quite yet, but okay, almost, But It's, yeah. it's late at it's night. It's late. It's dark.
1: They're Your things are
0: illuminated by, by moon. That's going to distort what they look like. Would I look at that late at night and automatically think, especially if I don't know what I'm looking at, would mm-hmm. I think that's a tramway that has lights in it and people and people potentially backlit because of the lights inside? So they're going to look weird. And you see these kind of funky lights that are moving in a funky manner. Because, again, and tramways you, yeah. going around a mountain or a canyon. And you see that and you're like, what the ever loving is that? If weird what shapes about,
1: what about the wings that popped out and like the ramp that came down? Like well, I mean, that's like, what's that's why I'm like I like I wanna I I wanna molder it so bad and I know you wanna scully well, it so bad. So this is like the, a really great but topic the, for us. The thing
0: is, is that if he If he was, the direction he says he was looking in, he would have seen it. Right, right. He didn't say, I saw a tramway and I saw a UFO. He says, I saw a UFO. Right. The tramway was there and it was running.
1: Okay, so it's an option. It could have been that.
0: So it's interesting to me that he didn't mention the tramway at all. Which tells me he didn't know it was running or didn't know it was there. Which or, tells me. Okay.
1: Or that he knew it was there and just wanted to support Betty.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, again, there is the possibility that he kind of went along with things. Because he wants to support his wife.
1: But that's contradictory to, like.
0: But that means that he didn't actually. Yeah. I mean, do you know what I mean? And that yeah, comes back to. a lot of what to, ifs. One, the whole thing is what ifs. But. Yeah. The, the the tramway thing to me is big because it was there. He was looking in that direction. <laughs> and a lot of the details of what he would have seen would have matched. And the tramways are weird looking. There could have been, you know, illusions with the light. There could have been, again, false memories. It could have been a combination of, I mean, obviously it was a combination of factors. Sure. But the tramway to me is is the, which... I guess he had drawn some pictures, too, and it looks very similar to what a tramway car looks like. Yeah. Um, There's the the Project Blue book. Yes. And yes, there were two accounts from that evening. Mm -hmm. However, however, their own story contradicts how they would have fit in. Because the first report was from Peace Air Base, Fort Base, 82 Mm -hmm. miles southeast of Indian Head. It was at 2.14 a.m. The Hills got home at like 5 a.m., right? They got home at 5 a.m., yeah. They got home at 5 a.m. They said that they came to after about 35 miles. Correct. We're doing math. We're doing math. From Ashland to Portsmouth, it's an hour and 45 minutes. Okay. So they came to in their car at approximately 3.15 in the morning.
1: Which means if they were having two hours of time that was missing, it would be between like one fifteen and
0: 3.15. Right. And 2.14 is, right is when there was the sighting or the Project Blue Book sighting. Which is right in the middle. Right.
1: I mean, that would, to me, make it more credible if it's during that time. No?
0: Well, except then they couldn't have seen it. Because if, it, if it's during this missing time, they were either... Uh, know, aboard? <laughs> on a spaceship, sure or it's not the same thing it was an unrelated sighting could be, the could second, be the second report and I mean again, this is just to say that the reports that were seen didn't line up time wise with Got when it. theirs were so again, it, all it is is saying that the times don't add up because the second report uh, was at 5.22pm so again that's a very different time it's a very different time. Now, it, it doesn't, and actually I believe that the Project Blue Book note that the high altitude and low speed of that report was that it was probably a weather balloon.
1: Yeah, they, they have a lot of those. A lot of the Project Blue Book reports <gasps> sure, are sure. something like that, yeah.
0: Well, and, but again, <laughs> it's, just because the government can, you know, be a shit about things doesn't mean things are not also weather balloons. <laughs> that's true, and that's what makes, to me, This story is so intriguing. Like, I
1: see both sides of it. I see, like, that potentially maybe something could have happened and a bunch of people tried to, like, gaslight them to make make them think they didn't. I see that there's mental health issues and lots going on and things that, like, impact someone to make them think something would happen and make it feel real, even if it didn't happen. Like, I can see both sides of it, I guess, is my point. And, like, (laughs) I think... And I clearly know how you feel on the topic, but I feel like they, the other thing too is that they weren't the first people to spot a UFO or even to report no, an abduction, of course,
0: right? Again, but it's it's to me it comes back to the ghost stories and why I scully so hard on ghost stories. That's I scully fair. hard on them because I want real evidence, and none of this is real evidence. And similarly, because he passed away, he passed early. away
1: from like a. F- freak thing in 1969 but he passed
0: away you know within a decade of all of this happening and she died in 2004 2004 so Mm -hmm. she used to travel a lot to speak about the things and to show slides about the things Mm -hmm. but she was not well regarded because she'd show slides of blurry things against the dark background and after a while it's like everything she would see she'd see in ufo and there was um a ufologist who had accompanied her on a ufo vigil in 1977 who said she was quote unable to distinguish between a landed ufo and a street light oh dang i didn't see that yeah that's rude (laughs) but 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 the point being again if i go into every situation looking for a ufo i have no credibility if i go into every situation saying it's a ghost and i don't look at anything else then i can't believe anything that's fair. That's my point. I get that, it's, yeah. It's not to discount alien abdu- I'm not saying alien abdu- abductions have never happened. I'm not saying any stories have never been true, but I'm saying nothing in this for me is real evidence. Okay. And I want evidence. Yes. I want something that I can't, I can't scully this hard because none of this is stuff I can't look at and say I can see a reasonable explanation for that. And I'm looking for what I can't explain, and none of this is something I can't explain. That's my side.
1: I love the passion of the Scully. The Scully it, is alive and well. Scully is um, alive
0: and well because she wants people to take things seriously. Yeah, and this is not a case where I think people can take it seriously.
1: I mean, some people can, some people can. It depends on your perspective. Sure. And like. I think that's the whole point is that that's why for me, this topic was so interesting to cover Mm -hmm. because there's so much on both sides. And I think on the other side, like to your point, like you don't have any physical evidence, but people want to believe and people want to believe that they're true to your point earlier too. Like, I think it's difficult when you have like my, my whole, whole thing too, is when you have both Barney and Betty. Two people that have had amnesia at the same exact time, which is weird. And, like, they both are coming up with the same stories, not at the same time, at different moments, while they're under hypnosis... Mm. I could but see where not, that would come from, that's but years also years
0: afterwards. Years afterwards, though, you're yeah. Again, if you've got to go back make sure. Well, yeah. But it, I guess I'm not trying to convince people like you or people like Betty. You already believe. What I'm trying to convince is the people who need convincing. People like me. That's fair. Because none of this, to your point, none no, but of I this is compelling it. for me. So yeah. I'm not worried about convincing people like you. You already believe. That's an easy I mean, thing but to... I
1: understand the other side of it, too. I'm kind of in a neutral point where I could see both ends. Sure. Where, like, I, I feel like, too, any type of publicity changes things. Oh, yeah, And, absolutely. like, this had so much publicity associated with it that it impacted things and, like, inspired, like, Close Encounters of the Third Kind sure. and the X-Files and had like just those shows and movies have impact on people and what we see and how we interpret information and it's it's interesting that you're saying that Betty didn't have a ton of credibility later in life because it what a lot of things that I read that said that she actually did she continued her research and was like a huge well-known person in UFO research but also I guess it depends on who you talk to who you ask who you and like to. what your reference is sure um but it, overall, I think it is an interesting topic to discuss. Oh, absolutely. And like, I was really excited to learn a lot about this. And there were certain parts that really honestly made me want to look more into mental health and um, more of like the forensic psychology side of things and like why you would think a certain thing versus something else. And it ended up being one of those topics where like I could really see why both sides happen, but also... Mulder's gonna Scully in this one too and like I I, it's not that I I mean I want here's where I stand I'm just gonna say this now I want to believe Mm -hmm. but Scully has had too much of an impact on me Mm. on this one and so like (laughs) I I could see it like that's where I try to take a neutral stance and see both sides Mm -hmm. but I lean more toward the Scully side because it makes more sense like that's kind of where I stand in this one but I'm curious to see what our listeners think too sure and this is like such a great example of like, well, people are passionate about what they're passionate about, and like, look at your resources, know where you're getting things from. <laughs> know where because you're getting
0: things from. <laughs> I, I
1: can truly say that with this one, I got mixed information. Oh, absolutely, I'm sure. Um, and I'll put all the resources on our website so you can see it. But um, read a book, watched a documentary, had lots of other resources too, and it's interesting to see what is said and um, what is believed. So we'll leave you with this. I want to believe the truth is out there <laughs> and trust no one <laughs> apparently watch x-files <laughs> yes and watch x-files and this brings us to <laughs> creepy critics corner creepy critics corner
0: kim <laughs> what You've been watching. Oh, so many things. (laughs) Always, always so many things. Uh I'm going through my list. Well, I will say I read a book. Uh I read a book. Uh called Hi Honey, I'm Homo. Sitcom Specials and the Queering of American Culture by That sounds awesome. Matt Baum. It is. And he's a local author. Uh picked up my copy of that book at Elliott Bay Bookstore in Capitol Hill, Seattle.
1: It's our favorite spot.
0: It is. And uh, it was great. It was um all about kind of tracing uh the history of of um queer representation in sitcoms and media. Cool. Nice. And uh looking from like starting with Bewitched and, and heading all the way up through modern family. Uh it's it's very it's so readable, it's so easy to read, and it's fascinating, and there's all these chunks of, of scripts from sitcoms and, and exchanges, and uh, yeah, it I was really fantastically done. It's well-researched, but again, it doesn't ever feel like I'm reading this dense history book or something. It's really fun, and it's sad at times, um, but uh, I've been on a little bit of a, a queer media kick. Nice. Uh, and, and had read, I can't remember if I talked about it in um, in uh, ch- 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 Creepy Critics' Corner, but there was a, a book I read not too long ago called Out of the Closet, I believe is I what it was called. I don't think you talked about it. Uh, or something, something of the closet, wait. <laughs> gonna talk about this too. Oh, it came from the closet. Uh, Queer Reflections on Horror, which is a, a collection of... Um, essays about uh, horror and, and queer representation and queer media in, in horror films and was again equally uh, very well done, uh, very very well put together. So I, I read that and, and really enjoyed it and I think it's worth anyone who's kind of interested in, in media and media history and queer history might enjoy that.
1: Nice.
0: And then uh, I, <laughs> I watched a movie that's recently on shutter called Blood Flower.
1: Ooh, that sounds good.
0: It's new release. It's a Malaysian film. Ooh. Really interesting. Uh, about a, a young boy, a teenage boy, who is um, a, a medium. He can, oh, cool. can see dead people. He can see. Uh, but it's it's done in... in it's kind of a, a little bit of a coming-of-age story at the same time. So it doesn't feel like some of your traditional, you know, something weird's going on, and there's some kind of demon, and they've got to get the demon out and solve who's doing these, these horrible killings and whatever. It, it's um, the, the lead actor in it, uh, whose name I'm probably going to mispronounce, and I apologize. I didn't look up the pronunciation before I recommended this movie. Adan Uh, apologies to potentially butchering that he's just brilliant he's so good and uh, it's yeah it's really really interesting it's creepy it gets a little bit bonkers at the end like the some of the plot twists go a little off the rails as happens in a lot of supernatural films oh yeah but the whole thing takes place in this this kind of old apartment building and you know something weird's going on and there's some kind of demon and kids are dying and uh secrets start to get uncovered and he's trying to come to terms with his abilities and and his healing abilities and and his ability to see things and he doesn't want to do that anymore because it's too hard and it's uh it's on airing on Shudder, and uh i would recommend it it was a really really solid watch so that's some of what i've been watching what have you been watching or reading or consuming
1: nice um i kind of talked about some of the stuff i've been consuming on this Mm -hmm. episode Mm -hmm. um but i consumed a book (laughs) i didn't eat it i just read it um it was uh the one that i had talked about called The Interrupted Journey by John Mm -hmm. G. Fuller. And that was uh, about Betty and Barney's depiction of their experience from their perspective. Mm -hmm. Had some really great details in it that I didn't find elsewhere. Um, But obviously, like, I couldn't put everything into this because it would have been way too long if I did. Um, But if you liked what we talked about today and you want to read a book that is from their perspective, that's a great one to read um i read it on my kindle so you can read it that way too um which i love i know i love a hardcover book but i also like what i can read from my phone my phone Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. my phone um but i also watched the documentary um the abducted one on discovery plus of the betty and barney hill abduction that one features their niece who i was talking about earlier Mm -hmm. as well Mm -hmm. um Really, really interesting stuff, uh, specifically about the publicity of everything that's in it. And you actually get to see some of the interviews and perspectives that we talked about, too. Um, outside of research things that I've watched, I watched a really dumb show from beginning to end. Um, and it's called Surreal Estate. Have you heard of it?
0: Is this the, like, the, haunted, the, the haunted houses and the real estate agents? Yes, but it's not... Like, reality
1: TV. It's fiction. It's oh, fiction writing. Okay. And so okay. I actually wa- started watching it because I thought it was that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted it to be that. But it wasn't. <laughs> it actually has... Um, first of all, the, the show is so dumb, but so addicting. Like, it's one of those that you know you're going into it watching something that's going to be stupid but entertaining. Like sure, that's sure, sure. That's the attitude you have to have. But it has Sarah Levy in it, who is... Uh, Oh. David Uh, Lovey's sister. Yeah, yeah. From Shits Creek is from creek Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um what's his face from Shits Creek who has the beard? Who dates (laughs) that
0: doesn't narrow it down.
1: Yes, it does. His (laughs) name is Tim Rosen. There's like five people with beards on that show. Mutt. Oh Mutt Shit. Yeah. Okay, (laughs) what a name. Um so the guy who plays Mutt shit in Shits Creek is uh the main character the main guy in Mm, surreal estate but i actually didn't recognize him at first because he doesn't have a beard he's clean shaven in real estate and so Mm -hmm. like that beard changes him as a human um but it does have sarah levy but her name in the show is so stupid her name is susan ireland like who came up with this name um (laughs) and there's a young like um hip cool girl that's like part of the team and her last name is la infant like (laughs) which is just stupid and just some of the names victoria roman luke roman like they're just basic basic bitch names um which make it funnier but basically it's about a real estate team that specializes in paranormal stuff but they'll sell houses that have possessions in them or ghosts and like at one point a ghost calls them To sell a house where there's frat boys living in it. And it's like the frat boys are haunting the guy's house, but they're alive and the guy is dead. It's really funny. Like, (laughs) it's just, it's ridiculous. Um, But definitely, like, the stupidest lines that you're just like, oh, I roll. But I have to keep watching. Um, It's great for, like, a late night, turn your brain off, want to watch something light and stupid watch it it's on Hulu right. um, I actually genuinely think that you would like hate love watching it um, knowing you um, maybe because well you love Shit's <laughs> Creek too and so it's got some of I that do. similar similar vibe as well see. Um, I don't I don't I hate, love, watch a whole lot of things. That's true. That's not really my, time. that's
0: not my vibe.
1: That's not your vibe, no. I, I like to watch certain things where I turn my brain off and it's fun when I can watch like a paranormal thing like that. Um, and
0: for me, that's more like stuff I've seen before, like Parks and
1: Rec. Which or, or... I've actually also been watching Parks and Rec recently. Yeah. I've been re-watching it and just like, that's what I've been watching. i been watching <laughs> Parks and Rec, Surreal Estate, and then stuff for the podcast. Um... But I'll have more interesting things to say next time when we record because I'll have non-podcast <laughs> things that I can talk about.
0: Hey, hey!
1: But anywho, thanks for listening. Uh, I hope we hope you guys enjoyed this topic uh, for our UFO uh, <laughs> topics. If you want to
0: send a message to tell Kim how wrong she is about all of the things she thinks, <laughs> please, please do. <laughs> I love also, it when people yell at me. <laughs> You know, it's just funny because I have to navigate it and then send
1: it to you, (laughs) which is even better. This person Um,
0: disagrees with you.
1: But also, it's fun because then we can banter about it. So please do. Uh, Also, happy spooky season. We're in it. We're fully in it. Um, And we're really, really excited for our upcoming episodes for October, too. So um, stay tuned. Keep on listening. Tell your friends. Tell your fam. Uh, if you like what we do, head on over to Patreon. Give us your money, please. Um, also, we have uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify if you'd like to leave a rating and review. And you can find us on all social needs with Ghoulish Tendencies Podcast. Um, thank you so much for listening. And having said that, stay spooky.